On today's episode, the tax treaty between Canada and the United States, they do not recognize the LLC as a flow-through entity. They view it as a corporation, and so you do not get the advantage of foreign tax credit in Canada. Even if you were to distribute that money from the LLC, there's limited amounts of foreign tax credit that you can take to go against your Canadian tax. You're listening to the Mind Your Biz podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the Mind Your Biz podcast. We're coming to you from beautiful Vancouver, British Columbia. My name is Mehul Gandhi, a local financial planner, and I am your host. Being a business owner is really hard. How do I know? Well, for starters, I am one. And my business involves me advising other business owners like you on all things financial. However, sometimes I don't have all the answers. So over the years, I've learned how to best connect my clients with other experts in various fields, and that's what I want to do for you. In each episode, I will interview a local business owner or expert who will share their insights on a specific topic or theme. My goal is for you to come away with ideas and strategies that will help you thrive. Now, let's get into the episode. What's up, Biz Nation? Welcome to another episode of the Mind Your Biz podcast. Today, we are getting into a topic that I have received a lot of questions about, and that is U.S.-Canada cross-border corporate tax. Sounds like a mouthful, but you all asked for this, and I am delivering the best expert I think I could find, which is Brent Hoshizaki, who is a partner, a U.S.-Canada cross-border tax partner with Smythe a, uh, I'd say, mid-sized accounting firm here in Vancouver. And he has lived in the U.S. and worked in the U.S. and practiced as an accountant in the U.S. and is also a practicing accountant here in Canada. So what a wonderful treat to get a perspective from someone with all of that experience. We had an amazing conversation. We tried to keep it sort of pretty high level. We get into fascinating topics such as stirred yogurt and moldy yogurt, ice cream cones, And of course, different taxation and the nuances behind corporate U.S.-Canada taxation. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And uh, I'm really open and excited to hear uh, feedback about this episode because it's probably one of the more technical ones we've done so far. So I really hope you enjoy it. What's up, Biz Nation? Welcome to episode 30 of the Mind Your Biz podcast. We have a riveting episode for you today. Brent Hoshizaki, the U.S. cross-border tax partner for Smythe is here with us today. Now, I have been feeling a ton of questions from all of you regarding cross-border tax, U.S. cross-border tax. And I thought, hey, let's get the man, like let's get the real expert out here to help us answer these questions. So I have put together the questions. We've got Brent in here. He's locked and loaded and he's ready to really get into it today. I hope you guys really enjoy all the information he's about to provide us and all the questions I'm going to grill him on. Brent, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Great to be here, Mayhill, and I'm looking forward to the excitement. Yeah, it's going to be great. We were just joking prior off camera here before starting the episode that you are the envy of a lot of your colleagues right now that are working up against that April 30th deadline in the tax world, the Canadian tax world. You have a different set of deadlines that you prescribe to, and April 30th is not one of them. So you're, I don't want to say you're chilling, but you're definitely compared to your colleagues in a bit of a better situation right now. Yeah, maybe my headspace isn't necessarily kicking back on a lawn chair and sipping lemonade, but definitely I'm not in panic mode like some of my peers. And so I wish them the best 
going into these last few days of Canadian T1 season. Absolutely. Yeah. And thankfully it lined up and we were able to have you here with us. So why don't you give us some background into how you got to the position that you're in as a partner of U.S. cross-border tax. I know that you did live in the States for some time. How did you get to Smythe and, and into this position? Well, very securely, so very well-worn and sometimes taking a few steps back path. But I'm actually both a Canadian and a U.S. CPA. I'm a legacy chartered accountant. I think one of your guests that were on previous is actually a really good friend of mine that that worked with me, uh, Pavman Chanda, when I worked at when I worked at Deloitte. But prior to Deloitte, I actually lived and worked in the United States, and so I worked and lived in in Olympia, Washington. So it's like a, a small version of Victoria, BC. It was a, a government, but a very small and friendly business community. And I worked at a, in a CPA firm from there. So I've worked both in Canada and the United States in public accounting and in private industry as well. So my path to becoming a cross-border U.S. corporate tax partner and went through various stages and various firms, but I'm very privileged to be part of SMICE U.S. and emerging and a growing and dynamic U.S. corporate tax practice and team at SMICE. Yeah. Well, first off, shout out to Pepman Chenda, who we had on a couple episodes ago, and he actually recommended you for me to get in touch with you. I did ask the LinkedIn community of someone that I could bring into on this specific topic of U.S. cross-border corporate tax. So thank you for that, Pav. And so there's a unique perspective that you bring to the table, having, first off, CPA both sides, U.S. and Canada, and second of all, actually working in both markets. There's one thing to have experience in working with Canadians who have cross-border dealings, but there's something else to be working in the U.S. and really being immersed in that tax world 24-7, so to speak, and really learning the nuances of how that entire tax regime and tax system works, it is definitely a far cry and in a lot of instances quite different than, than the way things work up here in Canada, which we'll get into shortly. Are you a dual citizen as well? Actually, no, I was born and raised in Edmonton, Alberta. So I guess if you could say dual citizen between Alberta and British Columbia, but I'm still an Oilers fan, so you'll have to forgive me for that. Yeah, well, I don't think you're the first Oilers fan on the show and probably won't be the last either. No, I'm not a dual citizen. I was actually, when I was living in Olympia, I was on my, my way to, I was on a partner track at a small mid-sized firm, actually similar to Smike, maybe a little smaller. And I was on my way to getting an employer-sponsored uh, green card. Then life took a different turn. And my wife and I returned back to Vancouver from living in the United States to start a family. And so I didn't get that green card, but I was pretty close. And you mentioned that Smythe has a growing cross-border corporate tax group here that you feel very fortunate to be a part of. What do you attribute that growth to? What do you attribute this sort of rise in demand and need for U.S. cross-border corporate tax here in Canada? Well, I do think that there is a burgeoning thirst or hunger for Canadians, particularly in the SME space, so small to mid-sized enterprise, which is probably precisely the target market not only Smythe, but also some of your, our listeners here today, that arguably, I mean, I guess you could probably say China and maybe India, but the United States is arguably the most powerful consumer nation in the world. And they're right in our back door or front door, however, whatever perspective you would have in your house, in your business. But 
to be able to access and to be able to expand in that area towards that nation that's geographically close as well as culturally. I know that we as Canadians, and this is my personal experience, we as Canadians, we try to be as distinctive as we can in difference to the, to the United States. But if you talk to many people, maybe some of your friends or your contacts throughout the world, and they say, well, you know what, you as Canadians, you try to be so distinctive as to separate yourself from the U.S., but actually there are so many more similarities than there are differences. So to be able to capitalize on that as entrepreneurs, as Canadian entrepreneurs, I think that bears a tremendous opportunity. I would have to agree with you there. I think there are obviously certain, in certain aspects, we want to maintain and hold on to our Canadian identity and distinguish ourselves from the U.S., especially to the international audience. But no, especially when we look at business, business growth, the type of consumers that we're after, and even the types of businesses that are starting and new industries that are popping up, a lot of SaaS and e-commerce and things like that. It's the same on both sides of the border, right? That's where we're seeing a lot of growth being generated. It's interesting though, like in the e-commerce world, I've done a little bit of research there. It does seem that although obviously the U.S. market as a whole, a larger market in the e-commerce world, it seems that the buying behavior of Canadians seems to be a lot more than the U.S. The average Canadian will buy a lot more or purchase goods online through e-commerce channels, be it Amazon or things like that, a lot more than the U.S., which is interesting. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting. I think as well that businesses, Canadian businesses that already have that type of platform built out through technology and marketing, logistics and supply chain can actually have a step up on U.S. businesses who are more of a mail order or bricks and mortar type of environment. You can really capitalize on a tech savvy, uh, tech platform built out delivery of services through the cloud, through SaaS or otherwise. And so I think Canada actually has a step up on that. I would completely agree with you, Mayo. Interesting. So let's get into some of the questions that I get often here. We know offhand, it's probably apparent to most of my listeners that the corporate structures, corporate entities that one does business differ between Canada and the U.S. So here in Canada, you can operate as a sole prop or as a partner. You can incorporate and have an operating company. And then you can also, at some point, do a corporate reorg, introduce a holding company. And we won't get into the family trust and things like that. But from a corporate entity standpoint, what are the differences? What are some of the entities we see in the States versus what we see here in Canada? Well, the United States is an interesting because with regards to its entity structure, it's almost like a reverse of Canada, whereas the U.S. individual tax rates typically are quite a bit lower than the Canadian individual tax rates. And so, and in the United States versus Canada, Canada has a very robust and well-built out system of tax integration, where particularly Canadian controlled private corporation, they can pay out a salary to their small business owner or pay out a dividend after tax and pretty much has a good integrated effect through through gross up and dividend tax credits to the Canadian individual so that drawing out a dividend versus drawing out a salary are fairly comparable. The United States doesn't have that in their U.S. corporate tax process or system. So there is actual double tax when a dollar is earned through a U.S. corporation and then there's a dividend out. It's taxed both at the corporate side and then they don't have that system of integration. And so many U.S. entities are set up as if they were flow through. So 
they might bear the same legal protection as a corporation does. Maybe we're going to get a little bit more involved with the LLC, the limited liability company. But in the United States, a lot of the entities are structured legally as if they were had limited liability like a corporation does, similar in Canada, but they flow the income up so that there's only one level of tax and that's to the individual. Interesting. Okay. So in Canada, you know, you have this idea where the corporation or the corporate entity can receive revenue or receive income, be taxed at a particular rate, be it the small business rate or general rate. And then once that money is eventually at some point in time, any rules there, it can be whenever you like. There's some things that the government's tried to do to encourage Canadians, business owners to pay out that money sooner rather than later. But when you do pay that out, that's where that integration comes into place to make sure that you're not paying more tax than an individual who basically just received that income directly in that flow through manner, say as a sole proprietor. Okay, so that makes sense. Whereas in the US, what you're saying is that you say you have a corporation, a C corporation, it will get taxed fully. And then when that's paid to the individual, when that individual takes that dividend, it's paid fully. Or sorry, it's sorry, it's taxed fully. So there's this double taxation idea. So why would anyone ever set up a corporation like that if you are going to be able to get the legal benefits or the legal protection through, say, something like an LLC? Why would someone set up a C-Corp in the U.S.? Well, I think that there are certain benefits of setting up a C-Corporation versus an LLC, or they have another type of corporation that's a tax designation. It's called an S-Corporation, which works as a flow-through type entity, similar to a partnership or an LLC. But I think that C-corporations are popular for some similar reasons as corporations are in Canada. If you're, if you're an entity that wants to spread throughout the world, you want to raise share capital and go public, then you can't necessarily. There are some limitations in doing that through an LLC or through an S-corporation. But Theoretically, from a tax perspective, particularly to small and mid-sized enterprise, those flow-through entities for Americans often are the way to go. Now, let's go back a little bit and talk about LLCs or limited liability corporations in the U.S. At first glance, as a Canadian business owner or even a Canadian individual in that world, might look at an LLC and say, hey, that's just like a corp here in Canada, but it's not. What is an LLC in the U.S.? How does it compare to a corporation here in Canada? And how would it compare to a sole proprietorship here in Canada? And what are some of the, I guess, downfalls or cons, disadvantages for Canadians to set up LLCs to do business through in the U.S. if they're looking to move their business to the U.S.? Right. Well, I'll tell you this. The LLC, it's a limited liability company. And the LLC is... What I would say, in my opinion, is it's the greatest thing for Americans since pre-mixed yogurt. (laughs) It's an amazing entity that protects an American individual because it flows the income through and you're only taxed at at the highest U.S. federal individual rate is 37%. So you just pay that tax, but you're legally protected. Your LLCs have members. And so... The members have limited liability. So if there's any legal action, of course, the United States, I think, and arguably much more of a litigious type of economy and society. So everybody can sue each other. In that way, you're protected, but it's a flow through. But for Canadians, 
it's almost like moldy yogurt. The opposite. It's the opposite. In Canada, and it's because the Canadian tax, as well as the treaty, the tax treaty between Canada and the United States, they do not recognize the LLC as a flow-through entity. They view it as a corporation. And so if you're a Canadian that owns and has interest in an LLC, that income from a Canadian tax perspective doesn't flow through. You still have to perhaps file a U.S. tax return, whether you're an individual or a corporation, but that income does not flow through to you from a Canadian tax perspective. It's seen as corporate earning. And so you do not get the advantage of foreign tax credit in Canada. And even if you were to distribute that money from the LLC, there's limited amounts of foreign tax credit that you can take to go against your Canadian tax. And so in some cases, you can pay an upwards of 65 to 70% tax on that business, on that dollar that's being earned in an LLC. Okay. So, I mean, I think it's really important to note because if you get on the Google or Reddit or things like that, when I've checked, you're going to see a lot of armchair tax advisors, let's call them that, recommend an LLC for Canadians that are looking to set up a business in the U.S. But obviously, based on what you described, it is definitely not the best thing because that U.S.-Canada tax treaty is not really helpful in this particular case. So then that obviously begs the question, what is a better route to go for Canadians who are wanting to set up a business in the U.S. or expand their business into the U.S.? Well, I think there's several different types of options for Canadians. And let's say, Mayhill, you're a Canadian and, and you meet somebody in Seattle or in the Bay Area and you want to set up a business and that says that person says, hey, look, Mayhill, we all go into LLCs. We can just do it. You can just check with my U.S. legal counsel. We just set up an LLC. And if that's the case, I would say, look, if you could, if you had the leverage or just the flexibility from the American side to say, hey, look, we could actually set up an actual partnership, a limited partnership versus an LLC. There are some differences and, and there could be some resistance to it, but it's Switzerland. It's neutral. It's still a flow through for U.S. tax purposes. And Canada recognizes a Canadian or a U.S. limited partnership as a flow through entity. So you would achieve the same results from a tax perspective, typically. So that would be an entity that you would consider is a limited partnership. And does that other partner have to be an American? Can you have two Canadians set up a U.S. limited partnership? For sure. You can set up a Canadian or limited partner. Partnerships are almost like shapeshifters. They can be formed in Canada or they can be formed in the U.S. And they're the taxation element of that partnerships typically are not subject to tax. But it doesn't really matter where they're formed. It's where they're operating their business as to how the tax how the income flows through and sourced. Okay. So besides the LP or limited partnership, what are some other options for Canadians who are wanting to start a business in the U.S.? There's some complexities, but setting up a U.S. C corporation, it's similar to a limited, like a BC numbered company, private corporation. You can set that up in the United States. And, and there are some complexities from a Canadian tax perspective, but if that USC corporation could actually hold interest in an LLC as well. And so if that same scenario occurred where an American said, hey, look, let's set up an LLC, there are some complexities and some legal costs and accounting and tax returns that need to be filed. But you could say, yeah, sure, we can set up that 
I can set up that LLC, but I'm going to set up a U.S. blocker C corporation that's going to hold that LLC interest. And then in that way, that will take in the LLC, my share, let's say 50% of the LLC's taxable income flowed up into that U.S. corporation. That's a way in which, let's say, a Canadian corporation can hold interest in an LLC through a U.S. blocker corporation. I see. Okay. So a Canadian corporation can't or shouldn't hold interest in a U.S. LLC directly, but can do through this blocker of a C-Corp because that C-Corp in the eyes of the CRA would qualify under this sort of tax treaty and is a corporation essentially, or an entity, a legal entity, and not a flow-through entity, so to speak, like an LLC is. That's right. And U.S. corporate tax, so a U.S. C-Corporation in the United States pays a, right now, it pays a flat corporate tax rate of 21%. And I don't know if we want to dig too much into the minutia, but the U.S. corporate tax, there used to be, and it could come back depending on who's the president or who holds the majority share in Congress, but they, they repealed the alternative minimum tax, which is typically a taxation system for wealthy corporations to pay on alternative method. So they actually repealed that. So you could make $200,000 or $2,000 and pay a flat 21%. You could make $200 billion of U.S. taxable income and pay 21%. Okay. So that's how it stands right now until further notice, so to speak. There's some burgeoning changes right now because the world events, including the pandemic, I think it's been challenging to pass through any major changes in U.S. tax law. Over yeah, the especially years. ones that lead to any kind of higher tax, right? Like right now, it seems like the U.S. at least seems to be trying to make it easier to do business to get the economy going again. Now, my understanding is, correct me if I'm wrong, that if you are a Canadian with a C-Corp, you actually don't have the privilege to convert that into an S-Corp. Like you need to be a U.S. citizen or have a, a social security number in order to turn that C-Corp into a flow-through S-Corp? Yeah, so an LLC can, can become an S-Corporation and a partnership can become an S-Corporation, but Canadians, S-Corporations have special, under U.S. tax law, have special rules as to who can own an S-Corporation to be an S-Corporation shareholder. And those are reserved typically to U.S. citizens or U.S. residents. So if you're a Canadian individual or a Canadian corporation, and you get involved in an S corporation actually breaks what they call the S election for everyone. So if there are three U.S. individuals that have an S corporation and you buy into it, they ask you to buy into it, then that S corporation is no longer an S corporation, even for those U.S. individuals that, that own it. It's now a C corporation. Okay, that makes sense. Now, let's say you own your U.S. business, whether it's a partnership or a C corp is essentially its interest is through a Canadian opco or Canadian corporation. Is there anything we need to worry about there? Now, we know that as a Canadian CCPC or Canadian controlled private corporation, there are definitely some benefits with respect to, for example, lifetime capital gains exemption, right? When you were to sell the shares in that business, you have an LCG amount that I think we're close to 900,000 now that you can take advantage of and you're not taxed on that first, that amount. Does that still exist if your Canadian opco happens to own a U.S. business or a U.S. C-Corp or partnership? Well, I'm going to try it a bit cautiously, Mayhew, because my peers and my fellow partners at 
this might and Canadian tax and Canadian tax planning might be say, well, Brent, you could have explained that a little better. <laughs> but basically, yes, it could affect it. So the lifetime capital gains exemption is kind of based on, I believe from a Canadian tax perspective, from a qualified small business corporation. So a QS, QSC, correct. Right. And to the extent that that qualified, that QSBC has a US subsidiary, like a USC corporation, it could taint its QSBC nest, so to speak, especially if that US entity grows in its value. And so it might throw off the ability to take that capital gains exemption, that lifetime capital gains exemption. So if that's particularly important, which for SMEs, that is really important. Absolutely. Right? So it's nothing to just discount. Then you may want to consider, especially when you're planning things out, is to say, hey, look, my Canadian corporation is my baby. The plan is to take the lifetime capital gains exemption on that. But what I might want consider to do is set up a sister Canadian corporation and call it Mayhill International Holding Corporation. And that would own the U.S subsidiary, the C corporation or interest in the U.S. limited partnership. And in that way, that one would not get the capital gains exemption, but you would get it. And maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more, but you can do business with your U.S. partnership or your U.S. C corporation that's held by the Canadian International Holding Corporation. And you can do business as if you're doing businesses as third parties, right? Yeah. And you can invoice like management fees, licensing fees. You can do different types of activity to try to repatriate the money into the Canadian corporation and thereby increasing its value and achieving that lifetime capital gains exemption a little quicker. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. So management fee, of course, or invoicing obviously is a popular way. What we're talking about here is if that income comes up from that U.S. partnership or C-Corp up into that sister co or that international co, whatever you want to call it, that the main Canadian corp that we want to preserve that QSBC status and charge that sister co a management fee or, or invoice it for whatever services. That's right. I mean, I'm not a transfer pricing expert and there's those who can do it from both sides of the border, but basically you can achieve tax overall tax minimization strategy for all the corporations and meet your goals through using transfer pricing protocols, which basically say, hey, look, you know, these entities are doing business as if they are third parties and charging market rate for licensing fees, management fee, cost sharing protocols, lending, marketing, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah. sure. Okay. And, but if you are just a Canadian corporation or partnership that wants to do business in the U.S., you are not looking to partner with anyone in the U.S. You are just looking to expand your business. Your Canadian corp can just do business in the U.S. as a Canadian corp. Like you can just start selling your goods in the U.S. I mean, there might be certain disadvantages from a, maybe from a sales perspective, maybe certain wholesalers or distributors not, might not look at you the same because you have a Canadian address versus a U.S. address or something like that. Or Those are besides the point, but Technically, you could, as a Canadian company, just go to a business in the U.S. 
for sure. I mean, if any of my people who know me for several years will have heard all these stories before. It's like the dad jokes. You're the kid and you hear your dad say joke like multiple times. So forgive me if uh, yeah. like, <laughs> like Pav. I've like heard Pav. Before. But if I sell ice cream cones, right? If I sell ice cream cones in Canada on, let's say we're in Vancouver on Robson Street, right? And I sell them to Americans on the 4th of July. Like this is before the pre-pandemic. So they come up here and it's their independence day. And so they want to have an ice cream cone. So I sell it to them. Do I have a U.S. tax obligation? Do I own any U.S. tax? No, I just have an American customer. And when the title transfers to that ice cream cone, you know, it's ice cream cone. When they take the ice cream cone and they pay for it, and we look up in the sky, we're in Vancouver, we're in Canada. I just have a U.S. customer. But if I go down to Bellingham or to Seattle and I sell that ice cream cone in Seattle as a Canadian business, Canadian corporation, title transfers, we look up and we're at Pike's Place Market or we're in the United States, then I have U.S. sourced income. But I'm a Canadian corporation that has U.S. sourced income. I don't actually owe any U.S. tax technically unless I have what's called a U.S. permanent establishment. And that's defined by the Canada-U.S. tax treaty. If I don't, I can sell ice cream cones until the cows come home. I can sell $2 million, $50 billion worth of ice cream. If I don't have a U.S. permanent establishment, I don't owe any U.S. tax because there's a treaty that says, look, Canadian corporation, same with a U.S. corporation. If they sell ice cream up in Canada, to the extent they don't have a Canadian permanent establishment, they don't owe any Canadian, Canadian tax. tax. Okay. That's right. But that type of model, and we're talking about U.S. federal tax only, that type of model might be great, but it may limit your footprint and your ability to do business in the United States. Right now, President Biden announced that starting on May 17th, there's, of course, these humongous U.S. infrastructure projects like roadworks and other types of things. And they're saying, look, if you want to be eligible for over 350 billion US dollars worth of government funded infrastructure projects, you need to be basically be American. The steel, the iron, and all the manufactured products that go into an infrastructure product, you will not get any of our money unless you're American. And so to the extent that the, how that's interpreted, but I think there's a real opportunity, like we were talking about the arguably the, the world's most powerful consumer nation. And on that 350 billion sweepstakes, that's a lot of money. Then you want to say, hey, look, we're just selling ice cream cones in, in Seattle. It's worth it for us to set up a U.S. corporation and to put that made in America stamp and employ Americans and be able to participate. That's just one aspect, but it's a real invitation specifically for Canadian businesses that are just across the border to join in, actually kind of benefit. Benefit from that. Yeah. And I think it's also important to note, we don't want to oversimplify things, whether you're an established presence in the U.S. And there's different rules between the federal level and the state level. Is that correct? Absolutely. And it is actually a lot more complex than maybe we made it seem, especially at the state level. You can actually quite easily be considered to have a permanent establishment in the U.S. without even thinking you do. Yeah, that's right, Mingo. Like, There's plenty of court cases that would define it, but the treaty really is quite simple. Even though it's like peeling an onion, you get down really, there's always different layer, but 
Yeah, a permanent establishment is an office, it's a branch, it's a place of management, and there's different rules that go down in that permanent establishment provision within the treaty. But in fact, if you have an employee in the United States, let's say, you could have an office. It doesn't matter whether that U.S. employee is working out of an office, a rented office space, or in their car, or in their mom's basement. I'm not in my mom's basement, by the way. I am in my own basement. <laughs> Good thing you qualified that. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to make sure that the listeners knew, you know, the, who I'm about. There you go. <laughs> but that can arguably create an office because they have to work out of somewhere. They can't just work out of nowhere. And they certainly aren't working in Canada if they're a U.S. employee, right? That's right. So things can get murky there. Okay, that's a really good point. I think things are often in general when it comes to tax and tax planning and interpreting tax rules. As a layman, you always want to get the advice from a professional because they're often more complex than what you might read in a blog article or even maybe you might go onto the Smythe website and read an article that's been published by Brent himself. But I guarantee you there are some nuances there and you really want to make sure what applies to your specific situation. I would say, and I think you would probably agree, Brent, is that if your business is looking to set up operations in the U.S., definitely please get the proper advice beforehand before you start setting up corporate structures and opening businesses. It is actually extremely easy, I have learned from some of my clients, to open up, say, a C-Corp or to get an EIN in the U.S. Like it's, it's not very difficult. It actually happens very quickly. Yeah, that's right. And you don't want to necessarily, I mean, I don't want to overstate the importance of it because I think you don't necessarily want the tax tail to wag the dog. If it's a good business decision, it's a good business decision. But alongside of any good business decision or any good opportunity, you have to do pretty decent planning. And correct. Absolutely, Mayo. Go and talk to a US, Canada cross border tax advisor that knows both sides of the border. There's plenty of excellent. I work with many of them, really great Canadian accountants and Canadian tax planners. And I've actually worked in the U.S. When I worked in the U.S., I worked with many great U.S. tax advisors and accountants. But what's probably key here is to get someone that knows the cross-border aspect of it, both on the Canadian international side. But we have, we have a good international tax team that I work with every day and international Canadian tax, as well as the U.S cross-border tax side so that you can actually be able to successfully maneuver around a very complex tax landscape. In doing so, you can go in there with eyes wide open and you're not necessarily stepping in a bucket of mud when it comes to the tax perspective. And we're just talking about Canada versus U.S. That's the it. States, of course, are, are a lot, as you alluded to, Mayo, a different scenario as well. And Yeah, with state tax and things like that, it can get really complex. That's right, yeah. And states fight with each other over tax dollars. I'll often say, and this is another goofy saying of mine, Mayo, you have to excuse me, but, but when it comes to state taxes, the United States are not united. The states are not united. They'll fight over state sales tax and state income tax. And so there's not only the U.S. and Canada federal borders to really maneuver yourself around as a business, but also the states are challenging. California is a perfect example. Yeah. Right? I mean, California is huge and they have some fiscal challenges as a state. And it's often similar to that song by the Eagles, Hotel California. I know you're probably a lot younger than me. Well, I'm a big fan of the Eagles and I know that song well, yes. There's plenty of room at the Hotel California 
you can check out anytime you like. Can you ever can leave. Leave. <laughs> and if you're involved in California with, with California state tax, you might say, hey, look, we're no longer doing business in California, but it's almost like that song. You can check out anytime you like, but you can never leave. Oh, yeah, that's a really great analogy. And I mean, for those who maybe keep tabs on what's going on in California and with the recall with Governor Newsom and a lot of businesses being upset with some of the tax legislation in that state, and this sort of this exodus of larger businesses moving, you know, the Joe Rogans of the world relocating to Texas and things like that. It is a very complex landscape, which we don't see too much here in Canada, province to province. We don't see such discrepancy. And there's definitely not this infighting between provinces for tax dollars because it's pretty similar across most provinces. You might had an advantage with Alberta for a period of time, but we're in it together. So that's a great point. Now, we've talked about this final point a little bit when we talked about setting up the sister co or the international co. But I just do a very high level brief chat about flowing income up from your US business up to Canada. So Let's look at a sort of a somewhat simple scenario. I have, me and my partner have a Canadian corporation that we own. Let's just say we own it directly. So no hold codes or anything in between. So nice and simple. And this Canadian corporation happens to now own a, say it's just the two of us. We have a C-Corp in the U.S. The C-Corp is earning revenue. Let's just keep it in one state. We're selling these ice cream cones in, at Pike Place, fish flying all over the place. And we're doing all right. They, people seem to seem to like our waffle cones and we're making a pretty penny. And the C-Corp has some money, has some revenue, and we want to flow it up to our Canadian corporation. And actually, we'd like to eventually pay ourselves at some point. How does that work in a very simplistic way? Obviously, we'll put the caveat that there's definitely do your own due diligence, make sure you get proper advice and there's some nuances. But in this case, what would that look like? Well, you can do it in a wide variety. The most simple way to do it is actually to pay the Canadian corporation, the Canadian parent corporation, a dividend from its U.S. subsidiary. And the Canada's tax treaty would be, if it's a wholly owned subsidiary, there would just be a tax withholding of 5%. So dividends are sourced to the residency of the payor. And so if a U.S. subsidiary corporation is paying a dividend to its Canadian shareholder, its U.S. source, the U.S. would withhold 5% of that dividend, remit it to the IRS, and that basically could be your final tax in the U.S., and then you just take it up. There are other repatriation strategies that may not have any withholdings to them, like interest. So if you lend a million dollars, then the Canadian corporation and the U.S. pays out interest, then that's withholding free. And so management fees are another way to do it. Licensing fees, let's say you have the cure for the common cold, and you can license that. So to your U.S. subsidiary, as if they're like a franchisee, and you can license your brand. And so there's cost sharing arrangements too. So if you're actually transporting the ingredients of the ice cream or the waffle cones that are made in in Canada, in Vancouver, you can charge those ice cream cones, those waffle cones at its retail value, not at its cost. And so that they will pay you the market rate for those waffle cones, and then you can repatriate that those dollars up. Okay. So in the first example, where I think was seemed like the most simplest, which is just pay that dividend up from the C-Corp up to the Canadian corporation, you mentioned that there would be a 5% withholding tax, and that could potentially could be the only tax that you end up paying to the IRS. To the IRS, yeah. Is there a 21% tax 
first paid by that corporation on the revenue earned by that, there would be yeah because dividends are after tax right? correct so this is 21 percent plus the additional five which would move this into the canadian corp and then of course when you pay it out from the canadian corp to the shareholder then the canadian tax kicks in that's a whole it's almost like it's separate that right. has nothing to do with the u.s it's canadian tax rates dividend tax credits okay perfect right. versus let's say management fee let's talk about management the management fee you pay up for management services and not everything can be a management. Of course. (laughs) It has to be reasonable and it has to be well-documented and invoiced and it has to be in accordance to, I guess, transfer pricing protocols. But say, instead of paying a hundred dollar dividend, you're going to pay a hundred dollars with a management fee. The management fee expense would be taken by the U S subsidiary. It's a deduction from taxable. And then it gets sent up to Canada and it's management fee income. So you're effectively lowering your U.S. corporate tax by essentially increasing your expenses. That's right. Very good. Yeah, that seems like a could be in a certain lot of instances, a a more tax efficient way of moving that money up. As long as, again, it's justifiable, it's reasonable, and it's according to the rules that are set out. That makes a lot of sense. Brent, you've given us so much information today. You truly are an expert, but what comes across to me, not only have I learned a lot, but you are so passionate about what you do. Like You can just tell by the way. You explain things at such a simple level. We're talking about some somewhat pretty complex things here, and you break it down so well. You have these go-to dad joke stories, which kind of says to me that you just you talk about this any every chance you can you can get. And I think that's something that's really special about what you do, especially in the field that you're in. And I suspect that your clients get, I'm certain almost that your clients get a ton of value from working with you. And we appreciate you spending that time with us. No, I appreciate the opportunity to share. And you're right. I I could talk about this stuff for hours and my wife will tell me, Brent, you know what? Like, you're just putting me to sleep. So tell me a little bit more about your job because I can't get to sleep. (laughs) But I love it. And the tax part of it, I do certainly enjoy the nuances and the challenge and the complexity. But what I really do love is making a difference to Canadian businesses that want to have an understanding and how to maneuver themselves around the There is tremendous opportunity out there for Canadian businesses. And if I can help them, man, that is great for me. That's what, why I love doing what I do. Well, there you go, you guys, you heard it. If you are a Canadian business owner, have a Canadian business and you are thinking about setting up operations or expanding into the US and what's holding you back is this perceived complexity or you're just uncertain as to where to start or you, you don't want to pay more tax or too much tax and you have all these notions in your head. First off, let those go explore a little bit more, take a look at the viability of what you're trying to achieve, sit down with a professional and expert like Brent to really figure out what this is going to look like. I think you're going to find that it's a lot more simple than you think it is right now. Also, that you can increase the complexity as it goes along. You can might maybe start out in a very simple structure. And then as that revenue increases, you see that success, you might have to then increase the complexity. But at that point, you're already in and you're going to be a lot more established and have the wherewithal to take on that complexity. Brent, once again, thank you so much for your time today. And we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Mayhul Gandhi's Mind Your Biz podcast and related content are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Individuals should not act upon the content or information provided by the host or guests without first seeking their own advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other suitable professional. Love this episode of the Mind Your Biz podcast? Then please subscribe, rate, and review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen. 
And don't forget to follow us on social media at MindYourBizPod and check out our website, MindYourBizPod.com. MindYourBizPod.com. See you next time. Thank you.